Welcome, glad you're here. What a wonderful thing it is uh, to worship in freedom and peace, um, especially now when we remember the persecuted church. The persecuted church just doesn't exist on Persecuted Church Sunday. Okay, they go through this stuff every, every week. I was speaking with a fellow brother who uh, came from a place where there are persecutions and uh, most of his friends have been killed and, um, and churches there have to pay for security in order to worship, have to meet at odd times so that the uh, people who want to kill them don't know that they're meeting. Um, now this happens all the time, and we get to come in a place uh, and to worship. Uh, God does not, he does not um, promise us physical peace in our life or ease when we follow him. Uh, it's abnormal for a Christian to have an easy life. Uh, the normative thing for a Christian is to have persecution because there's a real battle out there. Uh, there is a real enemy. He really wants to steal, kill, and destroy all that God is doing. And he does that subvertly in some places and overtly in other places. Uh, and so I would just encourage you this week, uh, this month, just keep our fellow brothers and sisters, this is our family. Right? If, if the word of God is true, anyone who has put their faith in Jesus is a part of a family uh, and that we are all part of. It's our brothers and sisters who are suffering and in need of us who are, have safety, who have peace to intercede on their behalf. Um, so uh, that day and night, night and day, incense arising, uh, it's, it's our call <laughs> to uplift our fellow and brothers and sisters who are going through persecutions. Um, but I am grateful to be here today uh, to sit, to, uh, to be able, or I'll be standing, you'll be sitting, um, and to look at the word of God, to look at what in some places is illegal to hold, um, and to read it out loud, and to see what it says for us. What a blessing. Uh, so let's not, let's not miss that today. If you're new with us, uh, again, like I said this morning, or maybe you missed it because you're coming in late, and that's okay because none of us are perfect here. Uh, and we're okay with that. And I want to make that clear because uh, perfectionism in Christian circles is antithetical to, to Christian mature, maturity. Uh, it keeps us from growing. When we want to put a facade in front of us to say we have it all together, we don't deal with the real issues that we have. And when we don't deal with the real issues that we have, we get stuck. And when we get stuck, we become unuseful for God. But if we come to a place where we feel and we understand that we are actually free to not be perfect. In reality, Christ knows that we're not perfect. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. He loves us at our deepest, darkest moments, which means he loves us when we stumble and fail. And it's okay not to be perfect. And that when we understand that, we can actually become to begin to grow in what it means to follow him. We can work out the, the things that are hindering us, the sin that keeps us back, and then we can grow together before him and become effective in the work that he wants to do in this world. Like, 
I don't know when the Lord is returning, and I'm not going to ever claim to know that. I know that life is short. Life is short for all of us. Uh, we are not guaranteed tomorrow. We may li live 50, 90, 110 years, but that's still a vapor. I mean, there are kids born in the 2000s who are adults now. That's crazy. I'm from the 1900s. It was like that. It was like that. And life is too short for us to hide from the things that actually bring us life. So we come together and we look at this word not in a position of, I have this all together, but in a position of, Lord, teach me. Lord, I trust you and I need you. Lord, I don't want to stay where I am or where I was. I want to grow. And I know no matter where I am, you love me just the same. So we pursue him. We pursue growth. We pursue to know Jesus, to follow him more closely, and then to serve him with our lives. And so we've been doing this by, by looking at a book in the Bible called 2 Corinthians. So if you have your Bibles, that's where we're going to be. Uh, we've been going through this book for a while. We're towards the end of it. We're going to be in chapter 12, verses uh, 1 through 10. Some of these verses are extremely familiar for many of you. Uh, but I want to give us just a little bit of background before we jump in. Right, chapter, chapter 11 we were in last week. We were looking at Paul speaking against these false apostles who were the reason almost with which why he had to write this, this letter to reconcile himself to this church that he planted. He went out to Corinth. He went out and planted this church, and then he left, and then people came in who were, he says, false apostles, deceitful workmen, ministers of Satan, people who are there to lead the congregation astray from the, the knowledge and the life that God has given to them, uh, to, to abuse them, in a very real way. And Paul, speaking to them, starts doing things that he didn't necessarily want to do, but he spoke on their terms in order to win back the Corinthians, back to himself, back to the Lord, and back to a life that was beneficial for them. So he starts bragging about himself. But while he's doing it, he's calling himself a fool. Because this is what these super apostles did. They were... They were demeaning Paul because he uh, was not uh, very eloquent of speech. He was very weak in person, and so he shouldn't have been followed. These guys were eloquent of speech. They were noble. They were strong. They were probably good-looking. And they, they had all these experiences, and they kept on t saying all these things so that they could take from the people. They could win a following and take from them. Right? Even... Paul says, what, am, what I am doing, I will continue to do, this is verse 12 of chapter 11, in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that their boasted mission, in their boasted mission, that they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. 
And it's no surprise that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond with their deeds. And he says, verse 16, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I'm saying, what I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool, since many boast according to the flesh, being wise yourselves. Verse 20, for you bear it if someone makes you a, a slave, slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. So he's speaking to these false apostles who are enslaving the people, who are abusing the people, who are taking from the people. And Paul's in jest saying, sorry, we're, we're too weak. We're not, we weren't strong enough to do that to you. In fact, Paul, uh, over and against all of the other churches it seems that he went to, did not take any, uh, any money from the Corinthians or any support from the Corinthians while he was ministering among them. He, he even was, was specific in multiple times in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians describes how he would not take money from them. He did not want to be a burden to the Corinthians. Instead, he relied on the support of other churches, like a church in Macedonia, which was a very poor church. So he allowed the poor church to support him to come and minister in Corinth, which was a very wealthy city, and the church was very wealthy. And he made a decision not to use their money and their support because it was not in their best interest. It wouldn't have served them. So instead, he relied on the support of other people, and he, he worked to build tents in order to serve this congregation to show them that he's not just out there for their money. He was there because he loved them. He was there because God sent him. He was there to entrust a message of reconciliation between God and man to them. And he's now writing this letter to argue and combat against people who are doing the opposite. So he lists a couple things that were a direct attacks on the, on the, um, the boasting of these false apostles. Uh, talking about knowledge, talking about uh, stature, talking about visions. So at the end of chapter 11, he says, If I must boast, I will boast in the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. It's not the strong things that we need to boast in. It's not the things that the world counts as valuable that we need to boast in. It's different. And then Paul shifts from these things to another category of boasting, visions. And so I'm going to read verses 1 through 10, and then we've got a few points we'll work through, and then hopefully we'll get out of here before anyone passes out of hunger, because I know it's a late day. Chapter 12, verse 1, he says, I must go on boasting, though there's nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know 
that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except in my weakness. Though even if I, wish I, should, I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I'd be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with my Lord, with the, with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. See, Paul's coming to close on his argument, and he is He's really trying to reform the thinking of the Corinthians. They're valuing all these things that these false apostles are bringing, which are causing them to be abused by them, and he's coming at them with greater things. So Paul starts talking about visions, which in the ancient uh, first, first century, uh, Greco-Roman culture, across the board, the mystic experiences were valued above all things. Their entire schools talked about how to have these encounters with deity. And, and everybody was seeking signs, visions, something that connects with the spiritual world. But Paul, writing to them who had experienced things a very few amount of, God, of God's followers have been able to experience before they were called home into glory. Doesn't use that as a, as a way of boasting about himself, but a way of helping the Corinthians see where true value lies. See, spiritual experiences and blessings do not define our standing or value before God and man. Spiritual blessings or experiences do not define our value or standing before God and man. See, Paul, Paul had something that very, very few people ever got to experience. He was brought out of his body or he was brought there he, in person. He has no idea to the third heaven. Now, I'm not going to get into a big, long discussion about first, second, third heaven he was brought into paradise with God. He was able to see God where he dwells. He was given a vision of things that were so beautiful and great, he could not even utter them. He couldn't say anything about them. In fact, there's no record of him even mentioning this account at all 
other than in 2 Corinthians 12. And it seems as though for 14 years, Paul kept this silent. 14 years. This guy has seen the risen Christ after he ascended to heaven a few times. He was brought up into, into heaven, saw these beautiful things. He could have wrote a book. Heaven's real, y'all. Paul edition. But he didn't. What he saw was so holy, was so sacred, was so beautiful that he, he couldn't say anything about it. But the experience for him, I'm sure, would have made him feel like, man, I'm a special person. I'm a unique person. People got to listen to me. God loves me so much that he let me have this experience. I better use this. But that's not what he did. Even, even when he's explaining the thing, he speaks in the third person. He does everything he can to not make this a boast about how important Paul is. I must go on boasting, though there's nothing to be gained by it. This is a true statement. There's nothing to be gained by it. This doesn't help anybody. Other than you who are being entrapped and enslaved by a people who are trying to lead you astray for their own personal financial gain. But I know a man, and he's talking about himself, I know a man in Christ. Not I, Paul, was brought up here. I, the special selected person, got blinded on the, on the road of Damascus. I don't know if you guys know that story or not. But I know a man in Christ, just a man in Christ, just like anyone else who's in Christ, a man in Christ, who was brought up to the third heaven, who saw things they could not boast about. He defined himself as a man in Christ, not a super apostle, as these people were calling themselves. Just a man in Christ. God gave me some amazing revelations, but that is not what I live for. And that is not what defines who I am. What defines who I am is what I wrote to you in chapter 5, verse 21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm a new creation because of what Jesus has done for me. So these things that I got to see, they're awesome. These things that I get to do, they're great. But my purpose in life is not to live for all those things. My purpose in life is to show the surpassing greatness and glory of God. And my frail jar of clay. See, the Corinthians seem to have been 
preoccupied with supernatural things. Now, I'm not making a comment towards any type of, uh, any brothers and sisters who come from another uh, uh, vantage point of Christianity. God does work in supernatural ways through his people. People experience God in different ways. It all aligns with the Bible. But I can guarantee you, our brothers and sisters who are experiencing persecution, experience him in a different way than what we experience him here. And that's okay. The enemy works in differently in different places. It's very subvert here. He's growing more overt here in the United States. But in places where you have like animistic uh, cultures who worship gods and deities, who actually see representations of their gods in their seances, God works differently. And when I recommitted my life to the Lord, I was in Nepal a month later. And I remember distinctly a heaviness that I felt just landing in the place. And I remember when we were trekking in the Himalayans, going and bringing the gospel out to remote villages, we stopped at a, at a house to sleep for the night, and in there were some t- Tibetan Buddhists doing a seance, and it was pressure on us, sick feeling. And we just prayed, Lord Jesus, stop this. And I kid you not, it just immediately stopped. And the heaviness lifted, and we got to sleep for the night. There's, there's a real spiritual battle going on out there. But these people were over-preoccupied with it. And there's a, there's a fine line between seeking the Lord and just seeking spiritual benefits for my own self, my own power, my own renown. The Corinthians, Paul had addressed multiple times. They were all about speaking in tongues. They were all about signs. They were all about prophecy. And he's like in in 1 Corinthians 14. He's like, I thank God that I speak in tongues. This is Paul more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I'd rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. It's not about the miraculous, guys. It's about a life trusting, clinging to the Savior who's rescued them. In fact, in in the beginning of 1 Corinthians, you guys could turn there if you want to, chapter 1, 18 through 31, he says, For the word of the cross is follies to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discerning, and the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since the wisdom of God, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, the Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness, foolishness of God is wiser than men, 
And the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in this world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in this world, even the things that are not, to bring nothing to things that are. So that no human, might, human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So it is written, let who one who boasts, boast in the Lord. See, Paul's consistent in his teaching and his encouragement of this congregation, not only in his first letter, but also in his third, which is called second. I know it's confusing. The boasting is not about what you are able to do. The boasting is about who God is and what he's done in you. And the real miracle is taking someone who is dead in their sins and trespasses and raising them to life. The real miracle is taking someone who is unrighteous, sinful, and deserving of condemnation, and then giving them the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and making them whole and new. So don't look to those things. Don't seek those things as your salvation, as what would fill you. Cling to Jesus. See, Paul, as he's saying this, explains something that I wish were not the case, but is extremely necessary for our lives. Paul, who was given this great revelation, these awesome things that he had to go through, was given a thorn in the flesh, a minister of Satan for his protection. There's, there's trouble in this world. It happens to all of us. None of us who are born get to come out of this life without experiencing pain, struggle, suffering. As uh, Job uh, says, uh, as, as man is born, as, as sparks fly upward, so is man born into trouble. But God uses suffering in his people. God allows suffering in his people to do something in us that would not be achievable without it. God sometimes allows difficulty in the lives of his people for their benefit, not their destruction. This is the Apostle Paul speaking and he's saying, look, I'm going to boast of my weakness. I'm going to boast of the things that show me weak. But even though I, because I got to see these awesome things and I got to experience these great things, God has given me a thorn in my flesh. A minister of Satan. Literally, literally the Greek is, we, we translate thorn, but the better translation is a stake. Because you could read thorn, you could think like, oh, this is some kind of like minor annoyance. But it's really a stake, something impaled into him, something causing him pain and anguish.
There's one commentator who said, God brought the elated Paul down to earth and pinned him there with a thorn. It's this pain in his life, this difficulty in his life for Paul, which was real and did, was not fun and did not feel good. And Paul sought for the Lord to remove. Paul began to understand that it was a benefit for him. It's there to keep him dependent. It's there to keep him from being prideful. It's there to keep him from being conceited. It's there to keep him clinging to Jesus. Now, what this thing is, we don't know. There's a lot of uh, speculation. There's a lot of commentators, a lot of people who, who, who want to say what it is. But God in his wisdom, Paul in his wisdom, did not explain it. Some say it was a sickness. Some say it was an ailment. Some say you know, Paul was anxious or depressed or, or something, some physical deformity. Or maybe it was the Judaizers in Corinth who kept on disrupting his work there. But regardless of what it was, it was severe. It was painful. It was difficult for Paul to walk through life with. Not only that, he says, it's a minister of Satan. The Greek there, angelos, an angel of Satan, a messenger of Satan. And God allowed it. He's there to torment me. God allowed it in his life. I mean, Paul three times pleaded with the Lord about this. And God still wouldn't remove it. His response, given in the perfect tense, which means it stays forever. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And after Paul got the answer he didn't necessarily want, he allowed it to do in him what it needed to happen. And then Paul shifted his thinking about what was going on in his life off of the immediate frustration, pain, turmoil, whatever was causing it, onto this is now a flashing red light that I need to abide with God. That my ministry is not based on my strength or my ability, my ingenuity, what I'm supposed to do. My ministry is based on God's power working through my infirmities. So if God wants to work greatly through me, I need to rest in my weakness. Resting in his power. For Paul, his weakness became an advantage. You see, if dependence is the goal, weakness is our advantage. If dependence is the goal, weakness is our advantage. 
See, Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, most of your translations say, I am content. The Greek word there really means I delight in. Now listen to what he delights in or what he's content with. Weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. What? No sane person delights in insults. In fact, if we see someone like, man, thank you so much for that insult. That's awesome. <laughs> we call the psych ward. Because it's not natural. But Paul allowed God to do the supernatural, miraculous work in him to change his perspective on what was going on in his life. And understand, if I'm following the Lord and I'm trusting him and people are rejecting, people are coming after me, people are persecuting me, the reality of what my Savior said, blessed are the persecuted for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and utter all sorts of obscene things at you in my name. These things are okay with me, Corinthians. Because God's power is made perfect in my inability to do what he's asked me to do. So I rest in them. Paul, after looking to get that thorn removed, stopped and said, okay, God, great. We have a new game plan. Every single time I feel this thorn, I'm calling to you for your strength. Every single time I feel this pain and this, this weakness, I'm coming to you for my strength. Every single time I am low and, and I don't want to move, I'm coming to you for my strength. And he uses and leaves this ambiguous because really it's for all of us. There's not a single person too weak enough to not have God show himself powerful in their life. There's not a single person going through any type of suffering that, the God, that God cannot redeem and use in their life for his good, for their good and his glory. Now, there are many people who are too strong to see God's power at work in their life. There are many people who will not experience God's power because they're looking to make themselves capable. Enough. But it's the ones who say, you know what? I'm not. I'm not good enough. No matter how much I've learned, how much I've done, man, I just, I mess it up all the time. Man, I, I want to do these great things for God, but just keeps on falling apart. Man, I was going to do this, this awesome revival, but I got sick. God, I'm in a wheelchair. What am I supposed to do? 
My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And this is, this is what God's been looking at, looking for all throughout Scripture. And all throughout human history, God has supported strongly those who humbly came to him in their weakness. Modern example, Joni Erickson Tata. How many people have been ministered to by her? Have come into the kingdom through her? Have God is rescued through her? Snapped her spinal cord as a young girl and thought her life was over? Fanny Crosby, a couple weeks ago we sang a song. Blind? Writes all this music that the church has sung for years. Charles Spurgeon, Prince of Preachers. You know, he most likely died from depression. He had a real battle with depression. That guy's the Prince of Preachers. This is the one whom I will look, who is humble and contrite and trembles at my word. This is what I value. Those who depend on me. Have this mind amongst yourselves that is yours in Christ Jesus. He who is in Equal with the Father did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or be fought for or held on to, but he emptied himself, became the form of a servant for us. It's a disposition of someone who realizes their weakness and clings on to the sufficiency and power of God that God takes and then through. God is not limited by our limitations. But in real sense, he is limited by our pride. So the question I want to leave with you today is this. Am I weak enough to be strong? Am I weak enough to be strong? Am I fighting against God's plan and purpose in my life? By trying to act like I have it all together? By trying to push in my flesh what God's wanting to do? Or am I waking up saying, Lord, I have nothing except what you give me? Use me today. Work through me today. Am I fighting against what God's doing in my life, the pain, the trials, the dispositions that I have, personal struggles, sickness, anxiety, depression, 
that one coworker. Am I angry with the place that God has me or do I realize that what God is placing in my life can be my benefit if I allow it to bring me to him? That the craziness of what's going on in the world, the craziness of my coworkers, my neighbors, my family, all of that, it's outside of my control, which is most of it, or all of it, can be something that is beneficial for me if I allow it to drive me to Jesus. Lord, I'm frustrated with the way things are. But you're allowing it, so please, Lord, give me the power to walk through it. Lord, I wish things were different, but you're allowing it, give me the power to work through it. Lord, this life is not about me. You've given me breath so that I can give it back to you. This life is short, it is a vapor, and you are returning soon. Lord, keep my mind focused on what really matters. Because Paul, who saw what is waiting him, came back and said, this light and momentary affliction is, wor- is working within us a weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. Which, you know, go back to, go back a chapter. Sorry, I was closing and now I'm going to jump back up. 11.24, five times I received at the hand of Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Night and day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardships through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and in exposure. And apart from all these things, there's a daily pressure on me and my anxiety. For all the churches. Who is weak and I'm not weak? I don't think anyone in this room has experienced the amount of suffering and pain that he's experienced. But he goes, this is light and momentary compared to what's waiting for us. So church, let's be weak. So he can be strong. And we're going to transition here. Uh, to a wonderful thing we get to do every first Sunday of 